Alright, just let me know when everything's ready to record and go. Alright, we're going to be dealing with um, the Spine of Prophecy Part 4, Setting the Spine. Lord, I ask you to bless this time in the Word. Speak through me that everything be accomplished. You're able to be done during this time in the Word. And also, Lord, in the altar time. Come in great power, Lord. We need you. But Lord, I thank you for, as we are going to be dealing with this end time prophecy, Lord, that you'll speak through me your words of life and truth, and let it go out as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Holy Spirit, that will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Lord, that you would help us anoint our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Lord, that we will have eyes and ears of the Spirit to be able to perceive what you're speaking and showing us. Lord, I pray that your light would shine forth of truth in every life and dispel, Lord, all the darkness, the lies, the deception of the enemy and bring truth and revelation. Lord, let your sword be released, the sword of the word that'll cut away what needs to go. Lord, let your word be as a mighty hammer that breaks down every stronghold and every work of the devil Lord, let the word of the Lord go forth in glory and power and strong anointing. And we thank you, Lord, for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So just dealing with setting the spine of prophecy. I've been dealing up to this point with like setting a stage for it, just laying some foundation in this sermon, I'm going to transition out of just laying foundation. This will be foundational into, though, getting into some of the meat. And we're going to start making the adjustment now from just foundational teachings into what I really wanted to get into. So this will be the pivotal point tonight, okay? Next week, I'm going to deal with the beginning of sorrows, the birth pangs, the way things are described in the Bible, there are the birth pangs, which are like contractions. And then there is the actual going into labor. And then there is the birth. The time of contractions for a woman when she's pregnant it means it's time, it's near for, there to, for the woman to go into labor, it's near. The contractions will get more severe and more frequent until she goes into labor. And that's why the Bible calls it the birth pangs or the beginning of the birth pangs, the beginning of sorrows, because it's like a woman that's beginning to have contractions. It's gonna get more frequent and more severe this will lead up to going into labor. And going into labor is the seven-year tribulation. That's the period of labor. And then it goes from labor to the birth. And the birth is when Jesus the Messiah comes back and his feet touch the Mount of Olives. And that's the birth of his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. So that's how the, the 
metaphoric understanding of what the Lord is trying to say there. That's what he's trying to paint a picture. And that's what's going on. And it's interesting because creation is groaning, the Bible says, for the manifestation of the sons of God. So, you know, the time is near, and you're going to see an increase of these things. But let me go ahead and begin with this and work my way back to that point right there. Meyer Perlman stated, Interpreting prophecy is just like putting together the pieces of a human skeleton. How many of you guys have seen that in biology or something? You've seen that they have to put the skeleton. Okay. If you want to do it successfully, you have to start in the, with the right piece, and the right piece is the spine. When we get the spine in place, then we can begin to fit the other members into it. In Jesus' discourse on the Mount of Olives regarding the end times, you read about it in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. That is the spine. So as we look through Jesus' discourse on the end times, that's going to be like the spine. And then from that spine, <clears throat> we're going to begin, excuse me, to put everything else together and paint a picture. It's why I'm taking my time with this because this is a very in-depth, long subject. You cannot cover this in just a couple sermons. If you did, you would fry people's brains, okay? Let's just be honest. <laughs> People, people would explode. So you just got to deal with it systematically. And one of the things about the end times, and if you can please remember this, is this metaphor I was using about a skeleton is basically the perfect analogy of what I'm trying to say. The Bible says that regarding prophecy, we look through a glass dimly. Please remember this as you study end-time prophecy. If you and I were to find, let's say that we were some kind of, you know, forensic analyst or whatever, you know, we knew how to do all that, and we come upon a skeleton, you can tell by a skeleton if it was male or female. You can tell the height. You might be able to tell the ethnicity to some degree you're going to get a general idea of this person, but you're not going to know details. You're not going to know the color of their eyes. You're not going to know for sure the color of their hair. You're not going to know for sure their fingerprints. I mean, you're going to have a general idea, but you're not going to know the details. We're not going to know all the details until it pans out. And that's just the way that it is. We look through a glass dimly. And so people that teach end-time prophecy that are extremely, you know, emphatic about this is exactly how it's going to be, you know, they might be right. But you can't have that kind of attitude studying end-time prophecy. Because as soon as you do that, it's going to pan out different than what you think. So you have to keep in mind that there's got to be some room there for things to maybe be a little bit different than what you thought they were going to be, if that makes sense. So when you teach on end-time prophecy, God gives it to us like a skeleton where you can get a general idea of what's going to happen, but you're not necessarily going to know exact dates. You're not necessarily going to know names and places of exact, you know, how things are going to play out all the time. You can definitely get an idea. For example, the Bible says that Damascus will be destroyed. 
Now, we can assume that's going to be a nuclear weapon because it says it won't be inhabited. But we don't know when that's going to happen. And we can't say for absolute sure that it's going to be a nuke. It could be something else, biological or something. I'm just, you see where I'm going with this? You get an idea of what's going to happen, but you don't know the details, okay? So I opened this series by dealing with some very foundational issues. Number one, these are days of great darkness, but they're also going to be days of a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to stay positive and see Jesus in all things. And the right motive in studying in time prophecy is, is that we're really looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation, you'll hear me say this a lot, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of the Antichrist. So our focus is on Jesus. And remember I read to you that passage out of Psalms where it talks about your face being radiant when you're looking at him. So the Lord is wanting us to keep our eyes on him and on what he's doing in these last days. Also, you need to know that God is in absolute, complete, total control. There are going to be so many things going on. And just based on what I understand about the end times, they're going to get more frequent and more severe. That's why if you'll do a study on your own, Google and begin to do a study on earthquakes. And you'll see that they have rapidly increased in both severity and how many of them are happening. And that's not the only thing. There are so many bizarre, weird things going on out there. Violent things, but also paranormal things. And there's signs in the heavens the Bible talked about. We're seeing those signs in our time. And so all of this is going to keep getting more frequent it's going to keep getting more severe and we don't need to keep our focus on those things we need to keep our focus on Jesus Jesus is going to be just like if you and I were in a ship and it had, it had become so foggy that it was difficult to really see that's why they put those lighthouses there the lighthouse was there so that the, the people that were in the ships could look and get a general idea. Hey, guys, if we just set our course toward this light that I'm seeing, it's going to take us to port. And I believe that that's what Jesus is wanting us to do in these last days is to really get close to him and intimate with him and keep our focus on him and just keep navigating toward him. So as I deal with this series, I'm going to give you different theories of how things will play out, and I'll give you my opinion, but I'll leave room for the fact that none of us know exactly all the details. Also, I dealt with up to this point, we need to know prophecy so that we can know how to pray and how to live in the right direction. And I dealt with things like dominionism and hyper grace. These things will cause people to both pray and live in the wrong directions. That's why I dealt with them. Hopefully people will listen. So we laid the groundwork. We ready to move now into some stuff? First off, let me just say this. You're going to see things coming full circle. 
Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. It's really interesting because if you do a study on Lucifer before he fell, he was an anointed cherub that covered. And that means that when you look at the Ark of the Covenant, it, it, that represents God's throne, okay? In the middle of that ark was where, you know, the mercy seat was, and that's where the glory would appear, but it's a picture of the throne of God. And so what you have is you have God seated on a throne, and you have cherubim that are around him, covering him, worshiping him. That was where Lucifer was. You understand? That's how close he was to God. He was an anointed cherub that covered. He was right there. It says he walked among the fiery stones, which had to be the, the foundation there around God's throne. His name, Lucifer in Hebrew, is Halel, H-E-Y-L-E-L. -E the Hebrew word, that's a root, I'm sorry, the root word for Halel is Halel, H-A-L-E-L. -E and Halel is where we get hallelujah. So even in his very name, you see that there was a connection with praise and worship right there. And Lucifer meant to shine forth. It was had to do with a light bearing. But he was very glorious. And eventually he got lifted up with pride. That's, that's the ultimate dangerous thing for all of us. Pride is what caused Satan to fall. And pride is what caused Adam and Eve. At least it played into Adam and Eve's fall. And so we need to be very careful about pride. Because Lucifer literally was right there. And still fell. That should be a real warning to all of us. But anyway, he began to get lifted up with pride and thinking, I want the worship. Most likely, he was some kind of a ruling angel with a lot of authority and power that had tabrets and pipes within him, which has to do with music. And he somehow, probably, from what we can deduce from Scripture, helped to lead worship toward God but at some point in time, he began to want the worship for himself. That's never changed. And so as we go into the last days, you're dealing with some incredibly um, dark, evil times that are going to come on the earth because eventually, as it goes deeper and deeper into the end times and into the time of tribulation, more and more of God's people are going to be martyred and removed from the earth either through the rapture, the catching away, or martyrdom. And the further along it goes, it eventually says that the world was worshiping the dragon. And so all these people begin to worship Satan. That's what he's always wanted. That's what he's after. And eventually, if you read the Bible in the book of Revelations, it says the, that these people worship the dragon. Okay, And so what's going to happen is Satan is going to set up like this unholy trinity where he is going to be like unto God, if you will, and the people are worshiping him. And he's going to have his little false Christ, the false Messiah, the Antichrist, that the Bible says he will give him his throne. And then the false prophet is going to be likened to the Holy Spirit and so you've got Satan pretending to be like God the Father his false Christ pretending to be like a Jesus Christ figure and then you've got the false prophet pretending to be like a Holy Spirit figure and you've got this satanic trinity
And of course, we know that the false prophet will initiate that people will have to take some kind of a mark, which I'll get into later on. And you know what's really interesting to me, and I'll, I'll get off this because I'm rabbit trailing a little, but I just want to give you kind of some nuggets as we go. God told the Jewish people many years ago, he told them to mark their homes, put the word of God on their homes, so they, and to write it on their forehead and their hand, okay? He told them to do it, and he wanted them to be so just engrossed in the word of God, seeing the word of God continually. Even the prayer shawl, he told them to put tassels on their garments. It was to be a continual reminder but isn't it interesting that God told them to put the word on their forehead and their hand, and so they ended up making these tefillin, however you say it, where there's these little boxes on the head and the, and the hand. But isn't it interesting that of all places that Satan could have a mark put on people, he made sure he wanted it where God told Israel to put the word. You ever thought about that? Satan is always trying to pervert and duplicate things that God initiated. Does that make sense? All right, so this is really what I wanted to get to tonight. This, this stuff's deep. That's why I'm taking little bits at a time. Luke 21.20. So as we're dealing now with setting the spine, I'm going to begin with the first, vert, or the, uh, yeah, the first vertebrae, and that is the temple. Okay? When Jesus was here, he prophesied to them about this temple. And he told them there wasn't going to be a stone left on another. Remember that? Let me read this to you. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, Jesus was warning his disciples, then recognize that her desolation is near. You got to understand this prophecy. These people knew Jesus was a true prophet, and he's telling them that, that there's going to come a time that Jerusalem is surrounded by armies and it's going to be made desolate. He told them the temple would not have one stone left on another. They were, I, I really believe they were listening here, really intently listening to what he was saying because they lived there and they knew that this very well could affect them. And he said in verse 21, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written must be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babes in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all nations." And Jerusalem, remember this, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, how many knows that Jesus hit the nail on the head with this prophecy? Every word of this prophecy happened exactly like he said it would happen. Jerusalem was surrounded by armies. Their temple was destroyed and the Jewish people were scattered out to the nations of the earth, just like Jesus predicted. And he said Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So let me keep going here and this will make sense as I go. But let me say this. You got to understand how big of a deal this really is. God allowed 
the Jewish people to be dispersed all over the world. And he allowed Jerusalem to be taken away from the Jewish people for a time. He allowed their temple, which was very sacred and holy, he allowed that temple to be pulled down and destroyed. And he said that this would happen, and you got to understand something when I'm talking about end-time prophecy, a couple things. Number one, that there has to be a temple whenever the Antichrist sets himself up in it, and there has to be a temple for Jesus to come back to. So what you're going to see is the battleground regarding Israel first was around the whole nation becoming a nation. Do you really understand how much of a miracle that was? Let me just give you an idea. Israel was a bunch of refugees that had just survived the Holocaust. They did not have weapons. They did not have an organized military. And they all began to go back to this little sliver of land that the United Nations said, well, we'll give you this little sliver of land here, you know. They went back to this place. All of a sudden, all the nations around there began to tell the Arabs in there, flee out of there we're going to go destroy them they're not going to last anyway and then you can go reoccupy it so now you have organized militaries that are established that have weapons and they're starting to come in on israel you know what israel said this is what happened one of the generals was interviewed and he was saying that all they really had was some personal airplanes that they flew up in the air and dropped some hand grenades from. You realize how pathetic that is? Are you really realizing how bad this is? He said that they dropped some milk, glass milk jugs down on people. And yet, they won the war and became a nation. I don't think we really realize how much God really, truly gave them that victory. Because I don't think a lot of people realize the details organized militaries were defeated by a pitiful army that had no chance of winning that flew personal planes dropping little hand grenades and milk jugs on people glass jugs seriously but god said that he would regather them then nations again surrounded jerusalem and tried to come in on israel for the Six-Day War, June 14, 1967, Israel went in and they won that war. Now, let me tell you a cool story about the 67 War. If I remember his name, Moshe Dion, something like that, I believe. He was a general. And he was the guy, you can look him up, he had an eye patch. Anyway, he was leading the military and these nations had come in against Israel in the Six-Day War. They didn't really stand a chance. This was still a very small nation with a very limited military, and they had multiple nations. If I remember correctly, off the top of my head, I think it was three nations. So three different armies came together against Israel. And Moshe Dion, if that was, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, was standing there, and some of his troops were, were starting to get antsy because he wouldn't move. And he was just standing there staring forward like this. And they were asking him, can we move forward? What's going on? 
And he told them, he said, look, he said, I see right now, right there, a huge angel. And he's standing there and he has a sword like this. And he said, I'm not moving till that sword comes down. And that angel let that sword down and he said, let's go. And God gave them Jerusalem. Jerusalem that had been trampled underfoot by the Gentiles since 70 AD, 1900 years. Think about how long 1900 years is. America's only a little over a couple hundred years old. Okay, please think about this. For 1900 years, it was trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. And for the first time since 70 AD, now Jerusalem, June 14, 1967, came under the rulership of the nation of Israel. It was a supernatural victory God gave them. When that happened, when Israel became a nation in 48, it was as though God took a big hourglass and he turned that hourglass over and said, now the, the clock is ticking for the coming of the Messiah. The battleground was over the whole nation. Then, to this day, the battleground is over the West Bank. It's over Jerusalem. But eventually, the battleground is going to be over the Temple Mound because that is the next big fulfillment of end-time prophecy is that Israel will be able to probably take the land but rebuild their temple. They, took, they became a nation. They took Jerusalem for the most part. I know that it's, it's a battleground, but the next is the temple. Is this making sense? I'm trying to give you the spine of prophecy. I'm trying to give you that first vertebrae that God allowed Jerusalem to be destroyed and, and the Jews scattered and their temple destroyed, but now in the last days, they've been regathered, given Jerusalem, and they're going to rebuild the temple. So let me tell you real quick, and I'll, I'll move beyond this, but the first part of the spine is that, that destruction of the temple and its future rebuilding. Let me just tell you how this happened. There was a, a Roman general named Vespasian and his son named Titus. They surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, not leaving one stone on another. Now listen to this. This is neat. The followers of Jesus in Jerusalem knew Jesus' prophecy. You remember Jesus told them, guys, there's going to come a time that Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies. When this happens, you better flee to the mountains and know that its destruction is near. And he told them in other places, the temple will be destroyed, not one stone left on another. So listen to what happened. Those that knew the prophecies of Jesus. When Vespasian pulled his armies back, Vespasian was about to destroy Jerusalem. He had surrounded it. But he got word that he was about to become an emperor and that that necessitated, necessitated him going back to Rome. And so he told his armies, guys, let's pull back and wait for my son Titus to get here. He goes to deal with this. Well, listen, as soon as the armies pulled back, the followers of Jesus knew this prophecy. They fled. They fled to a city named Pella. And they survived because they obeyed Jesus' prophecy. Flee. When you see these armies, you better flee. 
And they listened to him and they fled and they survived. But Vespasian's son, Titus, reformed the siege when he got there, gathered the armies together and continued to besiege Jerusalem until the words of Jesus were fulfilled precisely. The Roman soldiers, listen to this, they heard that there was gold in the mortar. They heard that in between the stones of the temple in the mortar that there was gold. So all of them wanting gold, they would tie ropes to every single stone and they used donkeys and horses and things to pull one stone off another and look and search for gold until every single stone was pulled down, fulfilling Jesus' prophecy exactly that there would not be one stone left on another. And to this day, the western wall that, that the Jewish people are praying at also known as the Welling Wall, is not part of the temple. It's a part of another structure that remained. All right. Hopefully this is making sense. I know this is kind of deep. I hope I'm doing a good job explaining it. But this temple is a big issue with end time prophecy, a big issue. All right, let me continue on. Israel was hardened for a time. Here's another sign of the times that we're living in. In Romans 11:25, Paul said, I do not want you to be ignorant brethren to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. See, I'll get to this in another teaching because I've put no end on this, so I'm going to go as long as it takes to get done, so I'm not worried about it, okay? But the prophet Daniel did not see this 2,000-year church age. Isn't that interesting? This was a mystery. That this, this going to the Gentiles was a mystery. It was like the mystery of God unfolding, the manifold wisdom of God that, that he allowed Israel to be hardened and as they rejected the Messiah and all that happened at that time he allowed it to go to the Gentiles and when it did he he established what we know as the ecclesia the church the government of apostles and prophets evangelists pastors and teachers but this is for a time this church age is until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in so it has an ending And so God allowed Israel to be scattered and their temple destroyed and he allowed the church to be birthed. And we're living in a time of a great phenomenal harvest. Now here's something interesting. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says, I will give them an undivided heart. And he's speaking of the Jews. I will give the Jewish people an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. What you're seeing fulfilled Paul said the Jewish people were hardened in part until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So God allowed Israel to have a hardening. But the Lord also prophesied about Israel, I will regather them back to their homeland. I will restore back all these things. And, and he said, eventually, I will give them a heart of flesh. Listen, what you're seeing right now with so many Jewish people coming to know Jesus as their Messiah this is unprecedented for the last 2,000 years. You are seeing with your own eyes that God is beginning to fulfill this prophecy of Ezekiel 
that he's beginning to give Israel an undivided heart and soften their heart and give them a heart of flesh. It's beginning. It won't be fulfilled completely until Jesus comes, but it's beginning. You understand that you're living at a time where you're seeing with your eyes ancient prophecies fulfilled. You're seeing with your eyes blood moons and solar eclipses that Joel saw. And you, you realize you're seeing them with your eyes. Things that were prophesied in ancient times. Prophecies that were obscure that people like uh, prophets like Zechariah and Jeremiah and Isaiah. You're going to see a lot of these things in your generation. You're seeing prophecies that Paul gave about seducing spirits, doctrines, and demons, and a great falling away happening. You're seeing it with your eyes. I don't think we really realize how far along in end-time prophecy we really are and how close the coming of the Lord is and how desperate the times are that we win souls. So let me start moving this to a close. I mainly just wanted to talk about the temple. But when Jesus was asked by his disciples, what is the sign of your coming? They didn't say the signs with an S, plural. They said the sign. What is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So Jesus begins this big, long discourse. Now, I'm going to paraphrase it. But he, Jesus begins to talk about great deception and false messiahs, which I've already dealt with earlier on. He dealt then with wars, rumors of wars, famines. We're seeing these things. Earthquakes, great fear in the earth, pestilences. We're seeing all of this. He dealt also with a worldwide persecution of Christians. We're seeing this. He talked about apostasy and betrayal among Christians. We're seeing this. He talked about false prophets and cults. Again, we're seeing it in our time. He talked about people's love growing cold. But then after he was done with his long discourse, he answered their question. And he said, but the sign of my coming is this. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. We need to be about the Father's business preaching the kingdom, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And so next week I'm going to deal with these beginning of sorrows here, the wars and all of that. But this was the, the focus there. The answer to their question, the focus was the gospel being preached. And let me tell you something, guys. I don't think any of us probably realize how rapidly the gospel is being preached because of you know, the advent of things like the internet and television, the gospel is literally going all over the world. Even in Iran right now, I know we look at Iran and you see these radical, you know, ayatollahs and, and people that, that are totally antichrist, okay? We know that. And they're, they're, they're bent on the destruction of Israel. They hate Christians. It's illegal to be a Christian in Iran. You, you get put in prison, etc. But even with that happening, did you know that Iran is is there's such a major underground revival and it's so widespread now like in china that actually iran is gradually becoming a christian nation under under the surface a lot of people don't realize how widespread it is because all you see is the news media and you see these ayatollahs get up there and making all their death threats to israel and how they want to enrich you know 
uranium and make nuclear weapons and all this stuff and, and these intercontinental ballistic missiles that they're wanting to launch all over the world, I guess, whatever they're trying to do. You know, it, but that's what we see. But what you don't know is that underground, there is a major, massive revival happening in Iran. Massive, seriously. Hundreds of thousands of people getting saved like you wouldn't believe. Converting from Islam to Christ. And you know how a lot of it is happening? Miracles, signs, and wonders, and Jesus Christ appearing to them. There's a television show right now that airs into Iran out of America. And that guy said that they were interviewing him and talking to him. He said that there's constantly phone calls coming in of people that saw Jesus in their dream or whatever. And they want to give their life to him. Constant. And then the people that get saved, they just read the Bible a little bit and they just believe it. So they go and they tell their neighbor that's sick or whatever, they say, listen, I know Jesus. I'm going to pray for you and he's going to heal you. And, he, and Jesus does. And then their whole family gets saved. And then they just believe the Bible, so they do the same thing. So there's this major signs and wonders going on. But it's underground like in China. It has to be meeting in homes and in secret. Anyway, let me move on to the last part here but jesus talked about false messiahs this is how i'm gonna close this can be taken two ways literally that they would be people that would say that they are the messiah now here's some things you didn't know or at least i don't think you did so i'm gonna read this to you but the prophecy of false messiahs by jesus has been fulfilled in many ways but listen to this this is just one way a Jewish encyclopedia lists approximately 40 false messiahs who have come to the Jewish people since the time of Jesus and all have deceived, deceived some to follow them. A few of these false messiahs deceived almost the whole nation. This was actually a famous one that I've heard mentioned several times, Bar Kokhba. His name means son of a star, he claimed to be the Messiah and led the Jewish people in the final revolt against Rome, which was utterly suppressed. The whole nation was either killed or taken into captivity. Another man, Moshe of Crete, led about 5,000 Jews out into the sea, believing the Lord would come, and they all drowned. It happened again in the year 1666 when uh, Sabbatai Zevi, told the Jewish people he was the Messiah and promised to restore them to Israel and a thousand of them gathered unto him but to save his own life he converted to Islam what a bitter disappointment to those believers in that false Messiah to see their the person they thought was the Messiah cowardly convert to Islam to save his own life and this has been Right, this has been repeated through Jewish history. But this can also be seen not just in a literal sense. These are literal people that, that are claiming to be the Messiah. But this can also be fulfilled figuratively. Did you know that many religions have a Jesus, quote, big air quotes, a Jesus they either worship or believe in, but he's not the Jesus of the Bible. So again, you're dealing with false messiahs there. 
you have a Jesus that's presented in the Roman Catholic Church that is definitely not the Jesus of the Bible. You have a Jesus that's presented in the Mormon Church, the Jehovah's Witness Church, and on and on and on the cults go. You have a, a Jesus that's presented in Islam. But none of these Jesuses is actually the Jesus of the Bible. And so there's going to be false messiahs. And then let me give you this last thing. I've been trying to preach tonight, guys, but the glory is on me up here really strong. I'm kind of out of it. So if this is like I feel, I feel like I'm floating right now. <laughs> but anyway, we'll get it done. So if I've been kind of monotone, that's why. I'm sorry. I need to have more jokes, but I'm just kind of a little drunk in the spirit right now. All right. Daniel gave the exact day the Messiah would appear. Now, this is really interesting because God expected the rabbis to know this. If they would have just calculated the days, they would have been standing in Jerusalem watching Jesus ride in on a donkey while the Jews waved palm branches, the lulav. They waved the palm branches and worshipped him, but they did not know the scriptures, nor did they discern the times. And Jesus rebuked them for that. God told Daniel that there would be 69 weeks until the Messiah would be revealed. That just, this just so happens to be the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, even a donkey's colt. Therefore, there are exactly 69 weeks of years, 173,880 days between the decree of King Artaxerxes in 444 B.C. to rebuild Jerusalem to when Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem, April 6, 32 A.D. God foretold the day when the Messiah would present himself to Israel as their Messiah King. Isn't that something? Isn't that remarkable how accurate Daniel was? So listen, this is why Jesus rebuked them so sternly for not discerning the times because they should have known and been standing there looking for him. Even if they didn't know the exact day, they should have had a very general idea if they would have followed Daniel's prophecy that there was 69 weeks until the Messiah. So you do 69 times 7, and that's how many years. They should have calculated. What I'm trying to get at is that's why Jesus was so hard on them about not discerning the times, because they were told by Daniel, the Messiah will be revealed in 69 weeks. So let me say this along with that. If Jesus Christ was not the Messiah, which we know he was, there's not going to be one because 69 weeks already happened 2,000 years ago. Is this making sense? And so I said all that to say this, that we've got to know the times ourselves. We need to be people that's not going to fall into the same deception that the Pharisees and Sadducees fell in. You know what they, they were doing? The Pharisees and Sadducees were so busy in fighting. The Pharisees, for example, believed in the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not. So they would study the Torah, and they would sit around and debate, argue, and fight about it. And while they were fighting about it, Jesus rode in, and they missed it. What are you seeing in our time? Denominations believe this. Denominations believe that. They're sitting around fighting with each other, and you're seeing all these end-time signs unfold, and a lot of people are spiritually or brain-dead, not having a clue what's going on. They're not discerning the times. And if they're not careful, they're going to fall into the same trap the, early, the, the people did back in the days of the early church when they missed Jesus and his first coming.
at least the Pharisees and Sadducees and those people. So, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we know that the temple is going to be rebuilt. We know that there are times coming upon us, and we want to know and discern the times. We want to know what's going on. We want to be a a watcher of the times and, and know what the Bible says about these last days. Lord, we thank you for it. Seal this time in Jesus' name. Let's go ahead and shut down recordings. I just feel such a strong anointing right now from earlier. Seriously, I've just been kind of out of it. I'm trying to preach. Hopefully it all got out there. (laughs) 